So the psalm that we're going to consider today begins with a question. And, and questions are great because they, it, it's how we learn. We ask questions when things are unclear or when things are uncertain. And, and, and we learn from the questions that we ask. Uh, we did a sermon series earlier last year where we talked about the questions that Jesus asked. And today, before we actually get to Psalm 15, I want to consider another question that comes out of the Old Testament, and a question that I think is actually pertinent for us, not only for the text that we're going to look at in just a moment, but also pertinent in our life today as we um, recognize a new presidency, as we try to uh, figure out how, how we navigate all of that, and, and just kind of the, the uncertainty that a lot of us are experiencing, and 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 trying to make sense of all of that, and so the the context of this question is is uh, is Joshua. It's in Joshua five. Uh, Joshua is about ready to lead the people of Israel uh, into the battle at Jericho. Uh, Moses is no longer with them. Joshua is now the leader of Israel, and 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 he he finds himself getting up and 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 experiencing this. And so this is Joshua chapter five. And what we want to do is we want to read verses 13 through 15. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. Now, actually, the response here is no. It's not neither. But the NIV translates this neither. No, he replied. But as commander of the Lord of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So there's this very interesting encounter that Joshua is getting ready to go and fight the battle at Jericho. He, he, he's making movement and he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. And Joshua wants to know, whose side are you on? Who are you aligned with? Are you on their side or are you on my side? And I think in recent weeks and months... We've had a lot of these kind of conversations and, and, and because we, we think if we can figure out whose side somebody is on, then we can kind of label them and we can make sense of them. And I love the response of God. Joshua says, are you on my side or are you on their side? And the response is no. The response elicits an actual response from Joshua when he falls down before him and face down in reverence and realizes that this is the Lord. And I think for us in this day and age, we need to be making sure that we're on the Lord's side because this is ultimately the lesson that Joshua learns. It's not about his side. It's not about the other side. It's about, are you on God's side? And I think that has to do with even how we live out and plan our lives because we have a tendency to make our plans and then to say to God, would you bless our plans? God bless my plans. When instead what God wants is for us to figure out what his plans are and then for us to live into those, to figure out the paths that God has already blessed. And so this morning, 
we want to consider this question then that is asked, that is asked by David as he, as he considers who it is that might dwell on God's holy mountain. He, he asks a question and then there is a response. And, and, and what I want you to imagine in this is that a person or David or the group of people have made their way to church or to the sanctuary or to the temple and they're asking a question. And then the gatekeepers, the priests, respond with an answer. So this is Psalm chapter 15, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? So that's the question. And now here comes the response. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. So you're traveling, let's say. I love how Eugene Peterson used to dis- or used, used these descriptions of, of believers. He said, there are Christians who are tourists and there are Christians who are pilgrims. And, and, and what he was getting at is he was saying there are some people who are following Jesus who want to treat their pastor as a tour guide. They want the highlights. They want a few nuggets that they can hold on to. They're on a journey, but they really just kind of want to get back home. And, and they, they want to pick up a few things in here and there. But the path that they're taking, they're, they're not really seeking anything transformational from that. And Peterson argues that there are those who follow Jesus, kind of from this touristy perspective. But what Peterson says is that what God desires of us is for us to be pilgrims. For us to be people who are on the way, but people who have a destination in mind. People who travel with God. People who want to be transformed. And and the people of Israel, they were about pilgrimage. You may remember that Psalms 120 to 134, uh, those songs are called the Psalms of Ascent. They're the songs that Israel would sing as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, as they walked that journey, as they made their way up that holy hill. They would sing these songs because they were people on pilgrimage. They were wanting to draw close to God, to worship the living Lord, because it was understood that God's residence, that God's dwelling was there in Jerusalem, there in the temple. And though Psalm 15 is not a psalm of ascent, I think it is a psalm about pilgrimage. And it is definitely a psalm about worship. Because that is the question that is asked as David begins that psalm. Who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Lord, how is it that we worship you? And I don't know about you, but I'm a little surprised by the response. Because the response of saying, God, how do we get close to you? How do we worship you? It isn't about how well you're doing with your quiet time. 
It isn't about how often that you pray. It isn't about how well you know the scriptures or what scriptures you have memorized. It's not about the condition of your heart. Well, it is about the condition of your heart in a little bit. But it really is kind of a moral or ethical description of how we are to live. That this idea that if we were to get close to God, we have to live in God's way. But, but it's, a, it's about worship. And, and there's kind of 10 different uh, issues that are discussed in here. And you can, can look at all these. But there's three sections of three. And then there's another three sections of th- or two. There's two sections of three. Another two sections of three. Two sections of two. Two sections of two. Basically 10 issues that are brought up here. Kind of interesting that we also have the 10 commandments. But what's fascinating to me is that God says, in order to truly worship me, you need to live a life that's blameless. You need to live a life where you're honoring me. You need to live a life where you're honoring your neighbor. And this perhaps does surprise us, but it shouldn't. Because let's travel now all the way back to Exodus. Let's travel back to when God says to Moses and Aaron, I want you to lead your people, my people, out of the land of Egypt. This is Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, which we know this phrase, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. So what is God saying here? He's saying, Pharaoh, let my people go, which is obvious, so that they might go and worship me. They've been enslaved for 400 years. They haven't had the opportunity to worship God together. And the charge that God gives to Moses and Aaron is to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. They might go and worship me in the wilderness. And we know how that goes and that eventually there's 10 plagues and eventually Pharaoh decides to let them go. And then they make their way out of Egypt. They go across the Red Sea. And if you recall back, and we've talked about this a few times, that, that back, back in Exodus chapter 3, God has told Moses that you will know I am with you when you get out of Egypt and you all worship me together. So we get to Exodus 19 now. People have been led out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They're having an opportunity to worship. And what does God say? God says to Moses, come upon the mountain. I want to talk to you and tell the people how to worship. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Honor God. Keep God first. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Take a day of rest and worship. Treat your neighbors and your family well. God says, these are the things that matter. But they're very interesting directions for worship. It's not about which songs you should sing or what prayers you should pray. God is making this connection of saying, a part of worship is thinking about how you're living your life is considering your relationship with God and your relationship with others. To get close to God, we have to live in God's way. And so the question then is, is how do we prepare to meet with God? 
What is Psalm 15 teaching us about the preparation to meet with God? I think it's saying there, there has to be this examination of your life. There's this issue of if we are to truly worship God, we have to think through, is our faith being integrated into our lifestyle? That it's not just about showing up on a Sunday morning and hearing a sermon and singing some songs and praying some prayers or watching online. It, it, it's, this, it's a bigger picture. The reason God gives the Ten Commandments is to help the people know how they can worship God. The reason why God says in Psalm 15, as we read through this litany of things we're supposed to be about, he gives these things because it's like, how are we to dwell in God's house? What does it look like to show up for worship? What do we need to be about as we come into God's presence? I mean, we want Jesus. We love that. Give me Jesus. And we need Jesus. But there's also this sense of saying, what do we do with that gift of Jesus? And so it's about our approach to God. And, and I think one of the, the struggles that, that we have, or I, I'll admit it, it's a struggle I have. I don't always consider, as I come into God's presence, as I come in to worship God, there's not always this sense of the awesomeness and the holiness and the otherness of God. And perhaps that's an issue that has been directly related to COVID, that when we are worshiping, uh, we're outside, that I don't know exactly what it is. But I think that sometimes we domesticate God. We forget that he is the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we forget to kind of do a gut check, if you will, even on our own lives. Of saying, how have I been living this week? Have I honored God with my finances, with my words, with my language? Have I cared for my neighbors? And I don't know about you, but when I look at this list from Psalm 15 about how it is that we are to live our lives, about what it is that we need to be about in order to draw close to God, and you hear some of these words, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, speaks the truth from their heart, tongue utters no slander, does no wrong to a neighbor, casts no slurs on others. I think those are hard things. But this is what God is asking of you and of me. It's the response to the question that was asked of who can be with God, of who can come into God's presence and worship the living God. I look at Psalm 15 and I see how short I fall of those things that are required. I cannot climb that hill. And even when I am making progress, it seems like something happens and I start falling back down. So who can climb that hill? Well, I think there's only one person. And that person is Jesus. Give me Jesus. That person, because Christ has climbed that hill. If, if we think about this, 
Jesus, three times a year, he would make his way to Jerusalem for the festivals, for Passover and for Pentecost and for the festival of the tabernacles. And he would climb that hill. We read about it in the New Testament. But one year he would make his final climb to Jerusalem. He would make his way in one more time. And at the end of that time, he would give his life so that we might have life. He would be hung on a cross so that we might receive forgiveness, so that our walk might actually be blameless. Jesus has climbed that hill, and now he helps us to climb that hill. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We can't climb that hill on our own. We can't make our way up to God on our own. But what Colossians is saying to us is that God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. I want you to hear that. That because of Jesus Christ, we are presented as holy before God. That God looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ. Christ's righteousness imputed in to us. He climbs the hill so that we might dwell on that holy mountain, so that we might come and worship the living God. We see that word in Psalm 15 in verse 2. The one whose walk is blameless. And that's intimidating language. But what it's really driving at is it's, it, that, that word for blameless there, we would think more of it in terms of integrity. The one whose life, who is it that can come and worship God in all of his goodness and all of his glory? It is the one whose life has had faith integrated into it. You see, I think there is something about worship that reminds us of God's goodness and his greatness and his glory, but it also encourages us to think through how do we integrate our faith into our life? And not just for a couple hours on Sundays, but in all that we're about. And I think one of the really important ways of figuring that out is that we take on an attitude of humility. That's what I love about that story in Joshua that we started the sermon with. What did Joshua do? He fell down and God was like, you're on holy ground. And I think when we come into worship, we come into a place where it is holy ground. We fall down in humility before our living God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it. 
He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How are we to live? How are we to love? How are we to worship? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And I think as we consider what it is to prepare ourselves for worship, it is coming before God with that sense of humility, recognizing that we don't have all the answers, recognizing that we have failed, recognizing that we are not always the best listeners, recognizing that we don't always get it right, admitting to our mistakes and our shortcomings. But when we approach God with that sense of humility, I know there is forgiveness and I know there is grace because there is one who has gone before us, one who has prepared the way. And at the end of Psalm 15, there is this wonderful promise that is given. You will not be shaken you will find yourself building on a solid place, building on solid ground. It it reminds us back of of Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus talks about the wise and the foolish builders and the person who is wise is the one who builds on the rock, who takes the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and builds on those so that even when the storms come, that house is going to stand. And that's what Psalm 15, verse 5, there at the very end, reminds us of. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And so we enter into God's presence with humility. We seek to climb that hill, living with integrity. We seek to love our neighbors. Because the psalm says, these are the sorts of things that God wants you to be about. At the very end of the inauguration of our new president, many of you probably were amazed as I was at listening to Amanda Gorman, the winner of the National Youth Poet Laureate, uh, the youngest inaugural poet ever. And as she wrapped up her poem, she said this, There is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. There's always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. And if only we're brave enough to be it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. This is the biblical understanding of what she was saying. This is the biblical quote probably that could go with exactly what she wrote. Jesus says this. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds 
and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others so they might see your good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. Worship God who is in heaven. See the God who is in heaven. This word for good deeds, this word for good, there's two different words used for good in the Greek language. The first is agathos, which has to do with like, she's a good girl or he's a good boy or that was a good piece of cake that we ate. That's not the word used here by Matthew as he writes this gospel. He uses the word kalos. And kalos is a good that radiates beauty. This is the light that Jesus is talking about. Let your light shine so that your good works radiate the beauty and the wonder of God. It's interesting to me how often the gospel and the, the scriptures keep coming back to this idea of saying, we've got to love God. We've got to love neighbor. That's what Psalm 15 says, that if you're going to worship God, you've got to love God. You have to love neighbor. If you're going to, to, to worship God, you have to come close to God. You have to do the things that God is asking you to do. You need to live in God's way. And so we seek to live in God's way. And one of the ways in which we live in his way is we gather for worship. And it doesn't matter if you're watching remotely. It doesn't matter if you're just listening to this online. It doesn't matter if you're with us in person. We worship the God who has made us in spirit and in truth. And we approach him with humility. We approach him knowing that his holiness is everything. But we also approach him boldly because Christ has gone before us. And I am convinced that as we worship God, we are equipped for the week that is to come. Worship serves as sort of this, this place where we recharge, where we reconnect, where we hear once again of the goodness and greatness of the God who sends us out to love him and to love our neighbors. And so let's be encouraged that as we worship God, he is with us. He is transforming us. He is making us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Oh God, thanks for this day. And we've asked the question, Lord, how do we prepare to meet with you? And it is by loving you and loving our neighbor. It is by living with humility. So God, give us eyes to see how we can be light in the darkness. Lord, help us to, to, to show forth your good works those works that radiate beauty. And Lord, help us to receive the incredible gift that you have for us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you transform our lives as we worship you, as we love God and love our neighbor, as we come humbly before you. Lord, may we yield our lives and may we become the pilgrims on the way pilgrims who serve and love you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.